Welcome to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins, and I'm joined today by Alex Lutz, the VP of Marketing and Public Relations at Rumsey. Our special guest of the day, Christine Delgado, who is the Administrative Director of our Rehabilitation Program at Rumsey, as well as Dan Ryan, the Advertising Director here at the Staten Island Advance. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Good seeing you. Through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, and medical professionals that make our hospital thrive. We will provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your health-related questions. Richmond University Medical Center is a leading medical facility located in the heart of Staten Island. The Department of Rehabilitation Medicine features a team of dedicated practitioners who specialize in improving the abilities and livelihoods of patients. Together, therapists and patients work to achieve incremental goals on the way to successful rehabilitation. Rumsey's team of experts include leading practitioners of occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech-language pathology, and physiatrists. Outpatient services are located at 288 Kissel Avenue on the Rumsey campus. Joining me today, like I mentioned, is Christine Delgado, our Administrative Director of Rehabilitation. Christine joined the Rumsey family back in 2013 as a speech-language pathologist before becoming promoted to her current role in 2019. She now oversees inpatient and outpatient physical, occupational, and speech therapy, as well as cardiopulmonary rehabilitation. Christine has 17 years of experience in the field of rehabilitation, specializing in swallowing disorders, head and neck oncology, and medically complex tracheotomized ventilator-dependent patients. Prior to coming to Rumsey, Christine worked as a speech pathologist in the Brain Trauma Unit at JFK Medical Center in Edison, New Jersey, and St. Peter's Medical Center in New Brunswick, New Jersey. She also worked as the senior speech pathologist at Egger Healthcare and Rehabilitation Center in Staten Island. Christine graduated with both a Master and Bachelor of Arts in Speech Pathology from St. John's University in Queens, New York. Once again, welcome and thank you for joining us, Christine. Thank you. Um, So as we mentioned, Rumsey has an array of various adult rehabilitation services offered. What are the most in-demand services that adults are seeking at this time? I would have to say probably physical therapy Okay. for adults because it encompasses uh, not only after surgery and, and musculoskeletal pain like neck pain, back pain, what we kind of all suffer from, but also neurological, so after stroke, um, patients with Parkinson's disease. So there's like a lot of demand, I think, for, for PT specifically for adults. And what evaluations are done to determine a patient's course of treatment while these therapists are developing a program for them? Each one of the therapists has their own assessments, but the assessments are standardized. Okay. So the patient comes for an evaluation, and there's a lot that goes into it uh, as far as different tests. You know, standardized meaning like we give, we kind of give a score mm-hmm. so that we can give a measure for what is the pain level or what is the deficit level. And this is important for us to be able to track progress. So, and that's one part of it. Another part of it is developing patient-focused goals. So it's an important part of the, the evaluation process that when we have a patient who's coming in, they're usually not, we, we have to ask them, like, what do you hope to accomplish? Like, what is your goal? And usually it's not like, I want to get rid of my neck pain. Usually it's like, 
you know, when I'm driving, <laughs> I can't turn my head and this, or, you know, I take care of my elderly mom and my back pain is not allowing me to do that. So we, our job is not just to like fix, you know, the problem and say, well, you know, your back pain, you know, you're saying it's better, whatever. We, we need to make sure that they can kind of get back to their life because rehab is all about functional skills and quality of life. And that's what we're treating, what we're treating. And these services are offered on Rumsey's campus itself? Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the outpatient uh, rehab building, which is the resident building on the back of the campus. And it's all referral-based, or can people make an appointment it's to come all, out on their own? It's generally all referral-based. We have patients who call and inquire, and mm-hmm. then we'll just direct them to get uh, a physician script. Mm-hmm. But if they don't say they haven't seen their primary care doctor, we have a physician on site. Dr. Hassan is our physiatrist. He's a, it's a rehab physician. Mm-hmm. So he can see the patient and he can do an assessment and he can actually order the service, the physical or the occupational or the speech therapy. Mm-hmm. He can write the referral. So we do have that as well if the patient doesn't have, hasn't seen their doctor, um, but is maybe having back pain. That's one of their options. And in our last episode, I know we spoke about the pediatric rehab uh, program and how mm-hmm. fantastic it is and such longevity that you have with some mm-hmm. of the patients. Is it the same with the adult program? What is the typical amount of time that some of these patients are with the program? So it depends on what the, the issue is. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's, you know, maybe six weeks, 12 weeks, depending if it's, um, if it's like a post-op case, right? Mm-hmm. But we see the more longevity with our patients with neurological issues. Okay. So if they have, you know, MS or they have a stroke, brain tumor, we have patients um, with traumatic brain injury. Those patients we're going to see much longer because mm-hmm. the rehab process is much more complex because there's a neurological component. And those patients we can treat for, you know, a very long time. Of course, we have, you know, we're guided by insurance authorization and whatnot, but... They definitely the need is there for a much longer time, and the progress is much, you know, much different course. Mm-hmm. And about five years ago, um, I know your your center added cardiopulmonary rehabilitation mm-hmm. yes. to the to the mix because there was a serv- that was a service that was missing yeah. on the island. Everyone had to go off island to get cardiopulmonary. How how has that been? How's that has that grown over these years? Can you tell me before you mm-hmm. touch on that? Can you can you say what cardiopulmonary rehab is? Yes, sure. So cardiopulmonary rehab is, it's a rehab program. It consists of exercise, monitored exercise. So the patient comes and they're going to be exercising, like say on a treadmill, they're going to be doing some like on a recumbent bike, but the patient is on a monitor and a nurse is present to monitor them for the first half of the program. So the first half is about 36 visits, which they can do in 12 to 18 weeks, depending on how often they come. The second half is unmonitored for the same amount of time, 12 to 18 weeks. So a patient who, um, say, has a heart attack, right, They, uh, it's important, very important, that they don't remain sedentary, that they, they get back to exercise. Even if they didn't exercise before, they need to, like, kind of, like, rehabilitate their cardiopulmonary system. But, you know, they can't go to, like, a gym, right, It's because there's a high risk and people are afraid and it's... So they come and they exercise and they're given, it's a progressive program. So the nurse will determine what level they could start at and they progress from there. They're they're always monitored. Mm -hmm. So we've had, you know, it's not often, but we've had situations where they need to have an EKG right on the spot or like right in our building, we can offer that. Um, Or they need to be sent to the ER. But 
this is the the benefit because it could make a difference between having that episode, you know, someplace else where there's no medical like a private office and here you're only feet from yeah, the emergency department. Exactly. Yeah. So that is our cardiopulmonary program and it's been it's been great. I have to say because the the patients love coming. It's like exercising groups. So mm-hmm. they have like an eight o'clock group and nine o'clock. And it becomes like this social hour <laughs> for them. <laughs> and they're all talking about what happened to them. And by the end of the time, like I remember the first like group that we had in 2018 when we opened, they were out for breakfast every day after their session. Yeah, that's great. It was like a bunch of like older gentlemen and they would go to the diner. It was like the cutest thing. Hopefully not eating bacon. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And the nurse would be like, Cheeseburgers. you know, watch what you eat, you know, but How it's funny. it's actually a great program. And it also mm-hmm. like we dive into nutrition so and lifestyle changes. So yeah. if someone smokes, we work on, you know, sending them to the referral for smoking cessation, mm-hmm. nutrition, so they can change their diet. Um, is that like pre pre stress test or is that kind of the same thing? It's usually after it has to be after a cardiac event. There's a, a very like specific list of people that can enter into the program. They have to have a qualifying diagnosis, and then we require like the stress test. So the physician who refers will like they give them all like the battery of tests, and then our physician who is Dr. Grobman, he's our supervising physician. He will see the patient before. And Dr. Diaz is our uh, pulmonologist who's our su- supervising physician for pul- pulmonary rehab. So if like COPD, for example, um, we'll see the patient prior to them being able to start and making sure that they're safe and that they're a good candidate. It sounds like with such an array of you know, cases and patients that you see, are the majority of these patients um, receiving other services at Rumsey? And if they are, how closely are you working with these other departments? We work with a lot of patients who are undergoing cancer treatment. Okay. Cancer rehabilitation is actually a big part of our what we do, um, specifically for patients have, who have lymphedema because they're receiving radiation. So we do have to work closely with the radiation oncology team, the medical oncology team, because we have to know where they are in their treatment. It's going to de- – the, where they are in their treatment is going to depend on – our course of treatment. So we work closely with them. And then also nutrition services will be working with our head and neck patients. So we collaborate with them as well. Staten Island was a hotbed for COVID-19 during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have a lot of people that are still experiencing long COVID or the symptoms of, of COVID to, to the point that Rumsey opened its own post-COVID care center um, sponsored by Investors Bank. They came in and helped us to set this comprehensive center up and I, I believe that re, you've been part of that that center in rehabbing mm-hmm. patients both because of the impact to their heart and lungs yes. but also people who were intubated mm-hmm. because of COVID. Yes we saw a lot of patients post-COVID that were intubated and had laryngeal trauma so it's like trauma to the the larynx, the throat, you know, who maybe like they had hoarseness or, um, you know, a swallowing issues that persisted. And then patients who need pulmonary rehab because of COVID and also cardiac. So we definitely saw a lot of effects and we still are mm-hmm. seeing effects of long COVID. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the first of its kind in the city, right? That opened? That, uh, that we were the care? first on Staten Island that we opened, one of the first in, in, in the city. A lot of it was driven by... Um, well, I, I know because, you know, we were in the hospital uh, before you actually came on, Meredith, but 
you were pulled into duty. Uh, yes. <laughs> in, in, uh, basically, COVID, uh, excuse me, Rumsey became a COVID hospital. Outside of uh, births and emergency surgeries, we everyone was there with COVID. Uh, several of our units were turned into ICUs. Uh, Christine, I saw many times, was working in those. Um, and Christine and her, her team, and I'm going to let her talk. Am I talking for you like you're not here? There was a procedure called proning yes. that actually <laughs> turned out to it. be very effective in the treatment of patients. I'll let yes. you explain what, what that is. When COVID hit, the, the peak of it, I remember, was like April 15th. It was, I think, our worst day at Rumsey, right? Yes, we had the highest census and the, the most amount of deaths. So yes. that was the day that we had we had initially started the proning you know, initiative where Proning is when you put a patient who is usually on a ventilator onto their stomach, and putting a regular patient on their stomach is not an issue, but when you're attached to a ventilator and highly sedated, it's a very precarious task and requires a team. There's a lot of research on this method, but it's not really used often, and it became like the last resort, kind of like a necessity during COVID. I was told, listen, your team is going to be the one doing all the proning. (laughs) And we did it. We had to basically get a quick education on how to safely, you know, perform this. And it's like very, um, it's a very kind of specific way to like wrap the patient in the sheet, turn them, how to disconnect the ventilator, disconnect the, you know, the NG tube. Like it's, it's a whole, it's a whole process. And it was tough on the staff. They went through a lot because some people, you know, you know, they didn't have a good outcome because that was COVID. It was something I'll never forget, and my staff will never forget. But actually, the results were, in some cases, amazing. People who were satting, you know, like their oxygen level was like 60. We turned them on their stomach, it would go up to 85, 90. Wow. We saw things that, you know, we never thought. So as much kind of as bad happened during COVID, I feel like we contributed to some of the, mm-hmm. some of the good outcomes. How many people are on your team? That would do that, like how? So typically our team is split between inpatient and outpatient, but because we closed, you know, the outpatient, we were all in the hospital and it took six of us. I mean, there's like 20 of us total, but it took six people every time to prone and they get prone twice a day. So we would, it's like a 16 hour on their stomach. So there's a team that needs to prone and a team that needs to deprone. And it's six people. So and we couldn't rely always that, you know, we couldn't always send six therapists because we were all over. So we would rely on the help of the nurses, the respiratory therapists, like all the, the, the doctors even. Like we, everyone had to pitch in and everybody was great. It was, it was just another kind of example of how we have a challenge and we just rise to the occasion, I think, at, at Rumsey, <laughs> I feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10 years that I've been at Rumsey, this is what I feel, you know. We're good at. So it must have been nice to get back to business as usual, so to say. When, Very much so. <laughs> I feel like my staff was going to kill me by the end of it. They were like, you know, I was like, if I asked them to do one more, like, out of the ordinary thing, uh-huh. like, it was just, like, every day was, like, weirder than the next. Uh-huh. So it was very nice to just, everyone went back to their routine, and I was like, no one complained about anything from now on. <laughs> but so, so now you're, you're also, you know, you talked a lot about uh, rehab after a, after a procedure, but you're also seeing injuries, you know, workplace injuries yes. and mm-hmm. assessing those. And sometimes I guess there's that uh, people want to rush through their rehab. Mm-hmm. They want to get back to work. They want to get back to normal. How, how yeah. do you 
manage someone's expectation when clearly you can see that this is not, this is going to be a long haul to get you back to where you need to be. I think it's a lot of education to the patient and also they have their part in the rehab. So we explain to them from the very first day, you know, you're, you're going to give given home exercises mm-hmm. and you need to do them. And it's like your homework and people are like, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. But they, they realize like you're not going to get better. Like therapy is twice a week. Sometimes the max is like three times. You're not going to get better mm-hmm. twice a week for an hour that you're coming. You need to really do your piece at home. Mm-hmm. It's Sometimes it's a lot. It takes some patients longer than others to realize, like, I need to put the work in. You don't can't just go through the motions because you're not going to get better. Do you have a particular patient or experience that kind of sticks in your mind as a really positive, like, this? this, this is why I got into field I worked in brain trauma for uh, for a while in the beginning of my career and I have a lot of patients I distinctly remember but I have this one um, patient who is um, about 19 years old and he had um, he was in a horrific car accident and had a massive head injury so he was what you call like in a minimally conscious state which is a couple levels above coma and which is another Little known thing about rehab, we work with patients who are just emerging from coma. Mm -hmm. Even though you feel like, what could you do? There's a lot that we do. Mm -hmm. So we were working with this this kid. Every single day, his mom would come at the same time, and she'd say, anything, anything? Because, you know, he wasn't talking. He wasn't. Any little thing you could say, like you try to bring them something, right? But it's hard because you don't really have a lot. So... I was working with him for a long time on, um, because I was a speech, you know, on the staff or speech Mm -hmm. at the time on making sounds. And I said, well, if there's any word we're going to work on, it's mom, because this is what would be the best thing for her to hear. So we worked on the M sound and we worked, you know, and eventually we got to the point where um, one day he said it. He said, mom, right? And thank God there was another therapist in the room with me because I would have thought maybe I was imagining it. So I said, okay, we're going to do this, <laughs> like, the rest of the day until mom comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she showed up, and I said, come on, I want to show you. We have something to show you. He did it. Like, he said, mom, when she came in the room, and when I tell you, I will never forget him, her, her expression. Like, I'll never forget that. And that's, like, what you kind of, the days when you feel like, you know, like you just feel down and out or the days when you feel like you're not really making a difference, this is the kind of stuff you have to think about because it's, this is something that was changed her life, you know, and just made her, turned everything around for her. So Mm -hmm. he sticks out in my head. Of course. No, that sounds like an unforgettable moment Mm -hmm. for sure. And I mean, I'd like for you to touch a little bit more on this adult speech pathology because I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people don't understand what it is yeah, and it is offered absolutely. both in and outpatient at RMC, right? I spent my career as a medical speech pathologist, which most people don't think about. They think about working with children mm-hmm. in a school. So it's not well understood. And if I had a dollar every time I walked in a room, for, I worked in the hospital like mostly my whole career. And I said, I introduced myself. I'm a speech pathologist. I, said, I don't need a speech pathologist. I know how to speak. But what... What we do in the hospital mainly is swallowing. So I say, no, I'm here because of this or that. So it's not understood. And um, there's there's so much in the field that, like, so much we can really help people with. So specifically what, what I used to work with patients um, was on when they're on ventilators. 
and after head and neck cancer. So patients who are on ventilators, they, um, they're not able to speak because of the way that the tubes are, like, you know, disrupting the airflow. So one thing that we would do with, like, these types of patients is we work with speaking valves. We place a valve. It's a, it's a process, but we, speak a, we place a valve and allows them to actually speak, which is another kind of amazing thing because people look at a patient on a ventilator and they assume they don't know what's going on. They have nothing to say, but really they do know what's going on a lot of the time. And they would like to be able to say, like, I'm in pain or talk to their family or talk to the nurse or the doctor. So that's something a speech pathologist does, which mm. no one will ever guess that, like, ever. And it also helps the weaning process. Weaning is like when they're getting off the vent. That will help the weaning process. It helps the patient become more comfortable. It helps them be able to get back to eating and drinking. And then as far as like, for example, head and neck cancer, patients who are diagnosed with head and neck, we have a great radiation oncology team and medical oncology team at Rumsey, and they are great about referring patients to us who um, are diagnosed. The patients are hesitant at first because they're like, what do I need you for? So we explain to them, listen, you're going to start radiation. It's going to get very hard to swallow. You're going to have a lot of pain. You know, you can you can aspirate things and go into your lungs. So we work with them from the very beginning and um, sort of throughout their radiation treatment and, and after. And this is something that can make the difference. And I've seen both sides. It makes a difference between someone sometimes never being able to eat again and needing a feeding tube and not needing a feeding tube. Huge difference. Another thing that speech pathologists do that nobody really knows that we do. But it's a, a service that for patients like this, this is tremendous. And when you're talking about patients that have been ventilated, you're not talking someone that's been ventilated just for surgery. You're talking about someone that's been a prolonged period yes, of ventilation. someone who's on like a, you know, having a, in the ICU and needing mm-hmm. a vent for a long time or has a tracheotomy placed, mm-hmm. so they're off, the, they, you know, they're off the vent, but they still need a trach. Mm-hmm. Same, same situation, like we would use speaking valve. We work with their swallowing. Um, the, the thing about speech, which is the medical speech pathology, is that we work on, you know, someone who had a stroke and they, they can't speak, where their, their speech is very altered, right? They can't get words out. So speaking, right, swallowing, which is what, eating. So these two things, communication and eating, this is the biggest, two of the biggest quality of life things that we have as humans. Mm-hmm. When I've been told in the past, like, you know, you're a speech therapist, like kind of like, what do you really do? And I said, well... <laughs> If you can't eat or you can't speak, then, you know, I think you would appreciate what a speech pathologist does. I'd just like to highlight that because it was it's how I spent my career, and I think it's important for people to know. Absolutely. So you're making a difference every day. What, what, what about you? T- tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do in your downtime, if you have it? I do have downtime sometimes. So I spend time with my daughter. She's 11 Uh and keeps me on my toes. And um, I love to cook. I like to go out and eat, too. I'd say, like, I grew up, I'm Italian, so I grew up and we only ate Italian food because that's just, like, I don't know what you do. It's just food. It's just food, exactly. So we just, and I never had, so many different kinds of cuisine I never had. So as I got older and I started to eat places that weren't Italian, I said, oh, wow, there's, like, all this different stuff to eat. So... I, I love to cook, so I like to, like, cook at home and try different things that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I wouldn't have What's your signature? Di- what's your signature, signature dish? 
I make a lot of Middle Eastern food. Really? That, and I just try. about Italian. <laughs> I'm just saying, I like, yeah, it's like something I would never would have eaten growing mm-hmm. up. I've made like a lot of Middle Eastern food. I made something, what I make the other day, lo mein, mm-hmm. which I love eating out, but mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to try it. Yeah, hmm. so I like to cook. I like to read. All right. Well, the the million dollar question is: Is Italian? Is it gravy or is it sauce? It's sauce. There you go. There you go. Soft. <laughs> there you go. Sauce. <laughs> Sunday sauce. And that's yeah. That's an official uh, statement. <laughs> and uh, are you from Staten Island? You're born, and raised on Staten Island. Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's always you know that's one of the things about Rumsey. You walk around the hall as you talk to people. You find so many people are Staten Islanders. They, they either were born and raised here or native Staten Islanders or they moved here. Mm-hmm. And it does bleed into the culture. You know, it's, it's, Absolutely. You know, and, when, and, and you can see it when you talk to patients when they, because you now have a common bond. Everybody kind of knows them all. They, there's, yes. they know certain things about Staten yes. Island. Um, you, know, you, you can talk to some of the senior patients that we have who remember before the Verrazano was mm-hmm. built and having to go up. Jersey into the Bronx, and and it, it does bleed into, it gives Rumsey his personality. What high school did you go to? With Susan Wagner. There you yeah. go. There yeah. you go. And then you usually, you know, you meet people, and it's like, I feel like everyone knows everyone. Sometimes it feels like a very small, right? Like you end up knowing mm-hmm. somebody that you went to high school with, or they went to the same high school. Yes. So, yeah, Staten Island is, is unique, and Rumsey's like kind of the microcosm, I think, of Staten I, Island. You know, as someone who's originally from Queens or now lives on Staten Island, I find that very difficult. I find it amazing that anyone in Staten Island gets away with anything. <laughs> because true. everybody they knows everybody somebody. Does. They don't. Yeah, they it's don't. like, you know, right. you, you break a law, you probably know the arresting cop before he yes. even arrives on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's very, very interesting. But I think it also, it, it comes to that. You know, we always talk about you can't leave the borough without paying a toll or so far. Mm-hmm. But when you know you can get services like everything you just described yeah. and it's basically in your backyard, yeah. there is there the bigger component, we've talked about this with many of our guests on our show, a very big component of the recovery process, I'll say the rehab process, is being home, being in a familiar yes. setting. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're doing the exercises you're supposed to do at home, right. the fact that yeah. you are in your home yes. setting mm-hmm. means a lot. As opposed to, you know, if you're if just after a major surgery or an injury where you may be having to go to rehab twice or three times a week, yeah, to commuting travel. to Manhattan or Brooklyn or yeah. New Jersey three times a week. And here you may have a, but it's a couple of, yeah. depending on traffic on Staten Island, yeah. it's, it's a but relatively it's short trip. No, but you're here. No more than 30 minutes. It's a relatively no more than 30 short minutes. trip. Yeah. Exactly. But, but you're here. Um, and that's something that our patients that have been admitted have said, you know, you're in a hospital in Manhattan or Brooklyn. You may have family members that can't get to you. And you're yeah. now in your room with no one to help you in the healing process. Yeah. But if you're here on Staten Island at Rumsey, yes. you your relatives are here. They're a drive away. Yes. Some of them are, you know, can walk to Rumsey. Yeah, it's we have people that, you know, they actually walk to their rehab. I mean, usually not physical if there's but like if there's other issues, they walk to the rehab because they're living so close. Um, right. we offer the hours, we're open at seven AM. Mm-hmm. So people come, a lot of employees, they come before work, you know, because mm-hmm. we open so early and then we're open till about six or seven um, most nights. So we have the flexibility. And like we said, we're local and, you know, to the island. Well, that's great. And as the director of the program, is there anything that you hope to see for the future of the program or with any advances in technology? Is there anything that's changing or that could help you down the road? I think definitely just like adding some um equipment like the technology piece is 
becoming vegan in rehab. So I think adding, you know, into the the, the technology piece, I think would be a big um, asset for us. Some ancillary services, you know, not not for, to benefit every patient, but there's different. There's, there's art therapy, there's music therapy, mm-hmm. there's which is not only for pediatric. There's actually a lot of research for neurological patients who have had a neurological incident. Um, horticulture therapy. There's like a lot of different things that different fun experience for the patient, but also achieving a result at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess like I would want to venture into just some different things we've never tried. Yeah, that sounds like it could be like, cooking therapy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, my speech therapist is she keeps asking me, she's like, can we do a cooking class? I'm like, there, there might be a lot of red tape, <laughs> I said, but I will figure it out and see if we can do it. Well, there, there is a, a new kitchen incubator that's going to be opening on the island that you'll be able you be able to have access to to u- utilizing that space and That's that would be yeah. It's open to the public so it would be something that you'd be able to take advantage of. One thing also which I'd like to see we we would need definitely more space but um this sort of like the they they do like little cities some of the rehab places that they have a car, you know, they have different they have a kitchen set up so that the patients who can they can actually work on getting in and out of the car, they can work on like getting their way around the kitchen. So things like that would be something nice, too, to add. Mm-hmm. It's just a thought for the future. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us today, and thank, thank you, you to everyone for listening. That about does it for this week's episode of Rumsey Connections. I'm Meredith Gaskins. <laughs>